Welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining me is our special guest from the Capital Gazette newspaper, Bill Wagner. Uh, we have a lot to cover today. We're going to be joined by Naval Academy pitching coach Bobby Applegate. We're also going to be joined by Naval Academy men's swimming and diving coach uh, Bill Roberts. And then we're you know so happy to be joined. We try to get alumni in here as much as we can. Class of 98. Uh, swimmer Bridget Ruiz uh, back in the day, Bridget Stamp, uh, to tell us about her career and and what the physical mission meant to her. But first things first, Wags, we're going to break down the week that was and what's happening. You know, we keep saying that as we get into May, uh, particularly with the lacrosse teams, uh, not in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I'm going to get into the fact that Maryland only got a three seed, despite the fact they were undefeated here in a moment, one of the greatest travesties in lacrosse history. But before I digress too much, great news over the weekend that this past week with, uh, with Navy going up and playing Army, dropping the first game, winning the next two, the last one being um, postponed. So they win the series and more importantly, win the star. We're going to talk to Bobby a little bit more about that. And then I'd like to get your perspective as you wrote some really great articles covering the baseball team and what's ahead or what's now and what's ahead for them. Also, the women's golf team, after the stunning upset in the Patriot League, winning the Patriot League, getting to go out to Stanford and play in the regional, they're out there right now. Uh, we'll give you an update on social media as that finishes up. So, WAGS, you know, really, we don't have too much. You know, we've got um, track and field and rowing um, and you know, baseball coming up, but I'd like to hear your perspective on the weekend that was for the baseball team up in army and how huge that was, you know, because they were looking at getting shut out of the postseason, which after the last five to six years would have been a major coup in a bad way. No, no baseball was the big story this past weekend. Um, as you mentioned, Navy had won five straight Patriot league regular season championships. So normally Navy is not at all concerned going into the late season series about making the Patriot League tournament. So this is like culture shock of like, uh, whoa, we got to win at least two of these four games to even be in the Patriot League tournament. Not to mention, it's the Star Series. So a lot of pressure on Navy and all the games are going to be up there. Now, it wasn't on the campus of West Point, as you mentioned. It was at a uh, minor league ballpark located nearby. And that was done so that fans could attend, which was nice. There were some fans in the stands. But, I mean, just a tremendous performance by Navy. Lost the opener and fought back to earn a split on Saturday. And then Sunday, we all watched that game. What a thriller that was. I mean, Navy's down 4-2, down to its last at bat, seventh inning. And they scratch across two runs to tie the game and then Go into extra innings, and in the eighth inning, Navy explodes for six runs and really blows the game open. And, you know, two big hits were Logan Keller and Eduardo Diaz both delivered three-run doubles. So uh, just a tremendous – and then the, the we should mention that the series finale, the back end of a doubleheader, a scheduled doubleheader on Sunday, had to be postponed due to rain. They played the, the latter part of the – open air on Sunday in rain and the field was really in bad shape. 
Coach Kostakopoulos told me. So there was really no way to play that second game. But by virtue of a three-game series, Navy wins two or three. Navy wins the star. And more importantly, qualifies for the Patriot League tournament. Navy has now made the Patriot League tournament 10 straight years. That's pretty darn good consistency, folks. A decade straight of making the Patriot League tournament in a league that's got some pretty good baseball across the board. And now Navy moves in to, ahead to face Lehigh in the semifinals of the Patriot League tournament. And Lehigh is the class of the league this year. They were the regular season champion. Uh, Coach Applegate, when we have him on, is going to probably mention about Lehigh has two pitchers who are professional prospects, including Mason Black, who's big time. He's a, he's going high in the draft. So uh, it's going to be a challenge. And uh, I think uh, when we look ahead, you'll see that Navy lost to Lehigh in two series this season. So uh, it's going to be a big ask. But for now, we can revel in be, uh, taking the star series from Army. Very impressive performance across the board by the mids, John. Yeah, some nervy moments there, uh, particularly on Saturday after dropping the opener 6-1. You know, we were up 8-6 going into the last inning. Army scratches in a run to make it 8-7. They've got men on second and third. I mean, it was nerve-wracking. And then you mentioned on Sunday scoring the two, you know, with our backs against the wall and then just blowing them out um, in the extra inning frames. You know, and, and Bobby talks about it, you know, that the excitement in the dugout and, and we always we always come back to this that, you know, we, we we do this podcast because we love what the athletes and coaches bring not only to the community of Annapolis, but but for us personally and watching them represent this great institution. Bobby talked about how the emotion was back, the excitement was in there and and you, you kind of get that feeling with. You know, the, the advent of the vaccinations and the positivity rate in the state of Maryland dipping under 3% for the first time, yikes, I think since, it, since this whole thing broke, that, that maybe more excitement is out there on the horizon. So really hopeful that we can get uh, a big win against Lehigh um, up there in the Patriot League tournament so that we can, so we can see the, uh, the boys in the Patriot League final. That would be, that would be very special. The other side of the bracket, so Army, I don't think even got in. Um, who are the prospective? Who are the prospective teams that not to look ahead past Lehigh because they're a great squad? But what's the other side of the bracket again? Right now, no Army is the second seed. Um, so Army, oh, got will, it. yeah, 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 that's right. Army's second seed and will host Lafayette, uh, which also you know Navy and Lafayette finished with losing records in the Patriot League, so. Uh, you know, Army and Lehigh are favored to meet in the final. So one of the Navy or Lee at Lafayette is going to have to pull an upset on paper to uh, to advance. So that actually was a Freudian slip because I wanted to get your opinion. Um, the tournament that Army did not get into was the lacrosse tournament. Um, not that I'm smiling from ear to ear or anything. Uh, but you know, I thought that was a little bit weird and there, and you've covered lacrosse as, you know, the resident expert, um, here locally for years and years and years, some weird things, you know, Maryland being undefeated Duke and Carolina having two losses and Maryland's the three seed army as high as number 10 in the country at one point loses to Navy. Um, they don't get in Loyola does. What were some of the things you noticed? in terms of Patriot League representation in the NCAA tournament, and then who got in and who didn't get in? 
Well, yeah, I mean, all of those points came up. I mean, the, those are the debate points. Maryland, you know, was a dominant force this year and is no, no doubt Maryland is a legit lacrosse team. Jared Bernhardt probably going to win the Tuarton Award as the nation's best player. Uh, at the very least, he's in the conversation for being a finalist. But the, what hurt Maryland was Big Ten going only conference play. And you just don't get a chance to see how they rank against the ACC teams, which there is no doubt that the ACC was the toughest conference in college lacrosse this spring. North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Notre Dame, Syracuse. I mean, it's just murderer's row. And those teams deserve the benefit of the doubt by having played one another. And beyond that, they also went out of conference and played some non-conference matchups to prove themselves. So what hurt the Big Ten was conference games only and the inability to show how they matched up against ACC, and that hurt Maryland. And, you know, gives Maryland some, uh, you know, something to really go and prove. This is a, a rallying point for Coach Tillman and his troops, I would imagine. And, you know, the way it sets up is they could have to play Notre Dame, which is an outstanding team under Kevin Corrigan. Uh, and by the way, former Navy assistant Ryan Wellner is the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame and has done a terrific job. Got to give a shout out to Ryan, who we really loved when he was here at Navy. Um, so that's a tough matchup for Maryland. They're going to find out real quick if they're legit. They're going to have to beat Notre Dame uh, in the second round, I believe. Now, the Patriot League was an interesting situation, John, because Loyola pulled out of the Patriot League championship game due to a positive COVID test. And most people presume that that meant Loyola was now out of NCAA tournament because the related contract tracing would tie up too many players, cause issues. Somehow, some way, Loyola went from not being able to play in the, the Patriot League championship game on Sunday to being declaring itself able to play in the NCAA tournament on Sunday night. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but it did. And the NCAA folks agreed that Loyola could play in the NCAA tournament. So that's what hurt Army because it becomes clear to me that it was it was down to Army or Loyola to represent the Patriot League as the second team behind champion Lehigh. Army had beaten Loyola on its home field and then lost to Navy, which, you know, I guess was held against Army. Um, but in a head-to-head matchup, they beat uh, Loyola. But now what happened, uh, John, is that Loyola beat Army in the Patriot League tournament in the semis to advance. And I guess the committee said, what have you done for me lately? Uh, they played twice, and Loyola won the second of the two matchups. It, it was a tough call. The team that got in in, 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 in spite of the Patriot League was Rutgers. So you can go back and ask. You know, they said that the Big Ten only – was a detriment, and that's what hurt Maryland. Well, Rutgers was the second-best team in the Big Ten by a wide margin. The Big Ten was not that good this year, John. Hopkins was down. Ohio State was down. Penn State was down. So Maryland rolled through a weakened Big Ten. Rutgers was the second-best team, but how good is Rutgers? So, I mean, I think three Patriot League schools should have gotten in and Rutgers should have been left out. but that's kind of not the hierarchy of the sport. The Big Ten's considered a stronger conference 
than the Patriot League. And I think the committee was like, well, three Patriot League teams and only one Big Ten team? We can't do that. So I, that's how I kind of think it panned out, John. Yeah, they're, they were definitely – I mean, Rutgers is 8-3, and three, and and I don't think a very strong squad. Um, I was shocked that they got in. Um, you've got some of the, you know, all-time names in there, Carolina, Georgetown, Syracuse, Virginia, Duke, Denver is basically one of those names now, and Maryland. But, you know, Hopkins gone. Hopkins gave Maryland a run in the Big Ten championship game. It was not to be. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch. It's always good to see local teams – uh, who are playing. I mean, Charlottesville is really local, but it's nice to see Virginia, Georgetown, Loyola, Maryland, um, and then some Patriot League squads in there as well, um, particularly with the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. But it'll be an interesting tournament. Um, here's here's to uh, hoping that future tournaments involve the midshipmen of Navy, both on the men's side and the women's side. Um, but it's May Madness, and, and I've always enjoyed the hell out of this. I love the fact that there are campus games uh, before you go to the, uh, you know, to the actual semis and championship. Um, and I think the, the uh, championship is in East Hartford, Connecticut. You want to talk about your, your pleasure vacation spots. Yuck. Um, so we're, uh, we're going to take this baby out. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Bridget Ruiz of the class of 1998. But awesome discussion. Um, and we have a great pot ahead. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, hey, we are back. Awesome conversation uh, breaking down, you know, the, the sports season that is coming to a close, uh, a mixture of success um, and a little less so. But, um, you know, we're we're always looking forward to that to that perspective that these physical mission um, sports and experiences give not only to the current um, athletes, but to the alumni. And so we're very happy. Uh, to be joined in our alumni segment by class of 98 uh, Navy swimmer Bridget Ruiz. Uh, back when she was at the Naval Academy, you might have remembered her as a four-year swimmer under the name of Bridget Stamp. So, so happy to be joined by Bridget. Bridget, thanks for uh, joining the Sing Second Sports podcast. And uh, yeah, just give us a quick overview. What have, what have you been doing since you uh, picked up your diploma right before Memorial Day in 1998? Yeah, John, I'm so excited to be here. Um... Gosh, after graduation, I service selected back then what we called spec ops, which was the path that now, you know, has turned into EOD. Back then, though, you graduated, you got a month of basket leave straight to dive school. And then you were supposed to go to um, SWAS right after that. The pipeline has changed a lot now. I had some weird twists in there. I actually did some sports um, for the Navy and actually had some weird hops and skips. But the quick answer is got my diving and salvage qualification, eventually did some sports stuff, eventually made my way to SWAS and then out to the USS Duluth where I spent almost three years, which was the pipeline back then. Um, If I had wanted to keep going, next would have been EOD school. But instead, I, at that point, I got married, decided I wasn't probably going to stick around for the long haul. I did a tour at the EOD training unit out in San Diego and then got out um, 
started having kids. We have three boys. I stayed home with them for a while. I married a classmate. He was a wrestler at Navy and then was in the SEAL teams. So he stayed in for 13 years. I did some freelance photography during that and then got into executive coaching. Um, it has been a blast. Another classmate of mine, Laura Tuck Mosdom, and I co-founded a company that we named Sixth Wing, thanks to the location of our first room. And we do professional executive coaching and facilitation for organizations. Um, and we have ended up back at Annapolis. When Coleman got out, we ended up back at Annapolis, three boys, having fun, running around, doing you know, crazy life. It's so funny how when people get out and they start their own businesses, how you know the the culture at the Naval Academy inculcates itself into some of those monikers. I'm reminded of a good friend of mine, Jeremy Toten, you know, who started a firm called Reef Points. You know, yeah. if that doesn't give you PTSD, um, but obviously, you know, you did not suck in the water. Um, a very very good swimmer on a very very good team. I even you know did some internet stalking and saw that you won a gold medal at the World Military Games uh, in Croatia in 1999. So walk us through you know what were your good events? You know what were your high points in your swimming career, including never losing to Army, which is basically what people have been able to say for the last 30 plus years. Walk, walk us through what you did and what you specialized in. Uh, definitely. I, yeah, we have a proud legacy at Navy women swimming and diving of holding the longest streak ever still ongoing against army. So we never lost and nobody's lost since I've been there, which is crazy. Cause it's been a long time. We had some close ones though. Um, I was a, my best event always from plebe year on through senior year was the 200 back. And then after that, I filled holes in the lineup, mid-distance free, distance free, um, 100 back. Like I just kind of ran the gamut, um, which I, you know, thank my club coach for not having let me perfectly specialize because it really helped me out when I jumped to the next level. I mean, the highlights, we won the Patriot League three out of the four years I was there. We beat Army every year. Um, I can think of some really fun come from behind races, you know, in relays and some setting some records. And it was just such a great experience. I think one of the things that the women's swim team has always done well is it's such a family. And I think that's true of so many sports at Navy, but we hear a lot about the brotherhood. I think the sisterhood, you know, the swim team is actually the best part. I could show you my phone right now and show you the different text threads with alumni that we all still are connected and chat on an almost daily basis. And um, it's just really fun to be a part of. And, and we were lucky we won a lot and that was a blast. We, you know, we got a chance to, show up and do well. And it was really fun. So there's a lot of continuity in both the men's and women's teams, you know, coach Morrison being there for uh, 17 years, I think coach uh, Roberts, who's going to be joining us here later on uh, 18 years. How, how much have you been able to, particularly now living back in the Annapolis area, how much have you been able to get involved officially or unofficially, you know, going into Lejeune, uh, maybe mentoring um, on the side when you're not too busy with three kids and your own career, of course. But how much of you, other than your like group text threads and things like that, how much have you been able to really still stay connected? Um, yeah, this is such a unique thing, John, because Navy women's swim, swim team, when the women first started the academy in 76, for the first year, there was one woman, Peggy Feldman. She was the women's swim team and she swam with the men under Lee Lawrence. But then after Lee, they, and he was the longtime men's coach. After Lee, they hired Dick Purdy 
And there's only really been, other than that short stint with Lee, there's only been two coaches of Navy women's swim team. And our era, era is particularly lucky because John Morrison was my assistant coach for three out of my four years. That was back in the days when they were, you know, put in the Navy as the assistant. So they had to rotate every four years. Um, but when John came back, it's crazy that it's been 17 years. It's just created so much continuity for those of us who were there in the nineties, because he was our coach. So I get to interact with the team a lot. I have gotten to bring a lot of my professional work of coaching and mindset and performance work to the team. Uh, John has me come in and interact and um, it's really so fun. Uh, It's crazy. I mean, they are so much incredibly faster than we were. We all joke. None of us would even make the team anymore. You know, even the people whose names were all over the record board, we wouldn't even make the team anymore. And, um, but the, current group it's so similar the dynamics the feel of the team the energy the way they think the things they're worried about so it's been really fun to bring the perspective of my professional work and being a grad and having those same experiences back to the group you mentioned a little bit of your professional career um by the way yeah what a what a fantastic brand new like state-of-the-art ship you went to for your first tour um, I, I say I say that tongue in cheek, having been like right down the pier uh, from from the war pig, as it was called um, back in the day. But you know the the evolution of opportunities for women in special operations and special warfare have evolved. In fact, it was my second year at the Naval Academy as the public affairs officer when the restriction you know on on pursuing SEAL teams was lifted, and we were always wondering. Hey, when is going to be that time that the first female mid, you know, you know, opts into the SEAL screener, an opportunity that doesn't exist at ROTCs or OCS out there? I believe it's a very unique way that we can inculcate women into special operations just because in special warfare, because of the sheer exposure to those to those training cycles, training opportunities and people how do you how do you view the evolution of this having been like one of the very earliest you know and 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 really one of the original badasses in this community how do you view the 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 evolution of that and how do you when do you think we might see the first trident um you know on hopefully a naval academy grad as the first female seal it's really been interesting i mean there were some real trailblazers who came before me in the diving community who really paved the way it was you know obviously out of the 11 people from my class two were women and it would hover around one or two back then i think you said it right john my perspective has been that you know at the naval academy physicality is such it's just woven into the fabric of every minute of every day and i think I even almost underestimated it when I was there, but I think it, once I got out in the fleet and realized how that wasn't everyone else's experience, the Naval Academy really has, you know, midshipmen have an advantage because you're living and breathing it all the time in a way that you're not necessarily at ROTC or through OCS. So I think you're right that it's probable that the first female candidate who gets through, it's highly likely, I think, that they might come from the Naval Academy because you're just brought up in a culture of development physically that's different than, you know, anywhere else. Um, When do I think it'll happen? I don't know. It's a, you know, it's a unique blend because I think one thing that, you know, that saying everyone says at Navy, you go for one reason and you stay for a different one. Um, I think even at the Naval Academy, we would say that you, you know, 
I've watched it with my husband's career. You pick the SEAL teams for one reason and you stay or you find out it's different things when you get there. So I think there's going to be some, some variance to the experience for what, you know, women and when they decide to go, women have been in EOD for a really long time now and have done really well. And so the opportunities there, um, what's it going to take? I don't know. I always say my own differentiation between the EOD community and the SEAL community is I think EOD has a defender's mindset and SEALs have an Avengers mindset. And I think that you're going to have to find the person who's got this super unique skill set and a super unique mindset, um, you know, to be that barrier breaker. But I also, the community, the SEAL community has put a ton of work into being ready. So hopefully when those times come, we all know those paths aren't easy one to walk. You know, we look at the women from the eighties and everything else. It's a different experience, but somebody's going to, somebody's going to do it. So it's going to be exciting when it happens. I agree. Well, my last question for you and um, as we have Coach Roberts joining us and, and uh, coming on in the next segment, you know, how would you characterize, you know, say one of your sons is considering, you know, swimming for Coach Roberts or playing lacrosse for Coach Amplo, um, you know, or, or anyone that you're, you know, that you're seeing considering a, an appointment or a career at the Naval Academy, how would you characterize what the physical mission provided you going forward as an officer as a mom, as a successful business person, you know, what, what did that physical mission provide you, um, you know, going forward right after graduation and today? I think the physical mission, you know, and, and there's a million paths that that looks like from varsity to club to intramural, but the reality is what you're learning is how to push yourself and how to trust yourself. And I actually think there's a really unique brand of confidence that comes from that. I think that when you aren't just challenging yourself in one lane, meaning, you know, your whole college career could be about academics or it could be about your social life. It could be about a lot of things. The physical mission broadens the spectrum and everyone at Navy is learning a basis of confidence and trust in themselves that I actually think is foundational for every part of life moving forward. There's obviously the really easy health aspects and things to point out, but overall, I would say what you really learn, you know, you learn grit, you learn determination, you learn where your limits are and how to walk those fine lines. And all those things actually build trust in yourself. And that was, you know, I needed that in my fleet time and I've needed it as a mom and I've needed it as a business owner. It comes around in a million different ways. And I, it's another thing I think you undervalue when you're there that you appreciate later. I could not have said it any better. And uh, to continue to hear it from graduates and current athletes and staff and faculty and coaches, is just such a validation of what's special about uh, just the service academy culture, but particularly um, as we are playing favorites, the Naval Academy. Um, so thank you so much, uh, Bridget, for joining us. Good luck, you know, finishing the school year. Um, good luck to your kids as they continue to get through a very unique time um, in their school careers and as they start to, to choose careers going forward. And here's hoping that I see a Ruiz wearing a uh, lacrosse uniform for Navy one day. Awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks for the time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Bridget Ruiz, uh, Naval Academy swimming alumnus from the class of 19. Uh, we will be back and we're going to talk to Navy men's swimming and diving coach Bill Roberts. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at 
We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, we are back. Um, awesome talking to Bridget Ruiz uh, about her career and again, you know, her perspective on what the physical mission provides. Um, we are going from one swimmer to another, um, particularly uh, leading a very successful group of swimmers uh, in the pool there in Lejeune. We are so happy to be joined by uh, Navy men's swimming and diving head coach Bill Roberts. Um, basically, you know, arrived at the Naval Academy right when Lieutenant Schofield did back in the early 2000s and has been at the helm for the last 18 seasons now, I believe, is the proper number. Um, so first of all, Coach, thank you so much for joining us. And second of all, walk us through what this season has been like for you and for your athletes as you've navigated ROMs, um, cancellations, the unknown, how has it affected you and your athletes? Yeah, definitely. Uh, first, thanks for having me on the show, John. Um, this season, I think for everybody has been, you know, there's no playbook for it. And I'm sure you've heard that a hundred times, but for us specifically, it was, you know, essentially dealing with time and how are we going to manage time and specifically lack thereof to train and prepare for our respective sports. Um, so last summer was tricky because for any athlete, um, you know, we're normally in the water, we've got some competitions going on. We get back to Navy, uh, you know, by the good graces, we're able to get, you know, get the permission to train in the pool and, and do our respective sports. So that helped, but along the way there were blips, you know, we, we had a, a shutdown first semester, uh, in front of a, some pretty big meets. We had, uh, the three week shutdown second semester, right in the heat of our season. So, you know, for us, we were really riding off an of instinct and just trusting our gut and just doing what we could. And um, so I think that was kind of looking back, you know, that's that's we, we didn't know what we we're doing, but that's what we did. So, um, you know, I think the the credit goes to the midshipmen um, without a doubt. You know, they've got to be the headline of the story, the, the, the year. And it's their ability to, you know, acting at the mercy of others respond and take advantage of opportunity when they had it. And, and that's, that's certainly what our group did. They were, they were really special in terms of when they had a, a chance to race and compete, they did. When they came to practice in the afternoon, Monday through Friday, they didn't waste a yard. They didn't waste a stroke. They were just really good in that regard. And I think that's, that's the core of why we did well this year. Thanks coach. Wags, go ahead. Well, coach, let's get into this, uh, the army Navy rivalry. Um, covering Navy athletics the way I do it normally is a real 50-50 affair. I, mean, I think you can go down the line in most sports and see that it's uh, that both sides win their share. Obviously, football had an amazing run of a record-setting run of whatever it was, 12th straight or whatever, but now Army's turned the tide. But if you look at the overall history of the series of Army-Navy in most varsity sports, it's relatively even. Why? <laughs> Has Navy dominated Army so seriously on both in both men's and women's swimming? What what can you tell us as to perhaps why that is? A couple of reasons. Great question. Um, I, I think you know just before we even get to the pool, Bill. You know, swimmers are going to be people who have an attraction to the water and be attracted to the Naval Academy. Um, you know, just the peripheral components of the Naval Academy is right on the water. We, we have, we're successful in a lot of aquatic sports. Uh, you know, they take swimming classes. So all that, I think, 
is an indirect reason. But, you know, the real reason, I think, again, similar to what I said before, is we've just been successful with getting getting the, the, the men and the women to, to buy into, you know, not just beating Army, but just being successful in our sport. And um, I, I tell you what, my, my second year was we were at a meet uh, coming back from an Ivy League meet in November. And we were just plotting out our next meet was going to be Army. And we were scoring our, our times from that day against Army's times from that day. And they had us. And I, I remember for three weeks, I was just stressed. It was like, this is my second year as head coach here. And I just, I, I hated that feeling. And I just, I vowed get through the meet. Do what we can. It was a close meet. It was a very close meet, but I'm never. I'm not going to worry about Army anymore. If if that's our bar, if that's our high bar, then we're going to be in that 50. You know, we're we're going to be having close meets with them all the time. And we just you know started to make a decision. We've got to aim really high with 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 these midshipmen because they will respond to whatever bar you set, and try to distance ourselves from that program. And uh, you know, fr from my end, I think that's that's been pivotal. I also think from the institution, obviously they hear it from day one, they do a lot of our coaching for us. So that's pivotal. And then, but most importantly, I, back to my previous answer, Bill, it's, it's gotta be about the students and the midshipmen, just, you know, their, their execution, their buy-in is the reason. So obviously this season was not linear the way that it normally would be. Normally you would compete at the Patriot League championships, which would set you up for the NCAA championships. This year, there were no Patriot League championships, although that came after you had already competed at the NCAA championships. You then learned that the Patriot League championships had been canceled, which I think everyone agreed with at that point. It almost didn't make sense. You still had an Army meet. What Did you get as many swimmers, relay and individual, to NCAA championships as you normally would in a regular season? I mean, just kind of tell me your thoughts on the overall progression of the season and the ultimate goal of qualifying swimmers for NCAAs. Sure. So the, the one comment that uh, was said to us multiple times down in Greensboro at NC2As was, uh, you got to this meet, you got this many guys to this meet off without a championship. You know, the, my, my peer coaches were just blown away by that. Because at a championship meet, you get multiple you know, shots at doing a performance that's going to get you there. In a dual meet, you just got one shot. So it was tricky. And uh, again, it goes back to opportunity. And we just, second semester, we just, you know, without having Army, Navy in December, that got pushed back and then got pushed back after NC2As. We just had to get up on the blocks and, and really prepare like it's a championship meet each time out. So that last weekend in uh, February, early March was when we uh, had targeted. But it's really, Bill, the, the following weekend, and that, that fell within that three-week shutdown. That was our big weekend. So to answer your question, I think we could have had a few more at NC2As. Um, There's some guys that were very close, but I, I, I feel confident that they, you know, we would have had probably one to two more going to the meet. Um, the other part of your question, we did have more than we normally do. We had seven swimmers go, including a relay, and then we had two divers. Um, so typically we're dealing with onesies and twosies at that meet, but uh, we did get a few more there. So it was very, we're all very happy with that. And um it's a tough meet to get to. It's, it's just really, it's never easy. So um, ultimately, I think this is, I've said this, this is one of our best teams I've ever had here. And unfortunately, they didn't get to show it. They've heard me say that a few times. Uh, if it was a normal season, Bill, 
we're, we're doing stuff that we've never done before. We're, we're very happy with what we accomplished. We're very satisfied with the opportunities, but um, there will always be a little bit of what if about this team. The senior class is spectacular. The leadership is spectacular. Top to bottom, we've got all the events covered. So it's, it's a great group. And uh, I think the reason we did well is because they managed COVID and all the ups and downs really well. Well, obviously, one of those what ifs is could Navy have swept the Patriot League championships, which I think we all feel confident Navy would have. And that's a shame that you won't have that banner for 2021. Um, we talk on this pod about the physical mission being one of the components of the overall mission of the Naval Academy. And I think swimming and diving athletes really tend to live up to that ideal. And Michael O, senior from Kent, Washington, he was one of those that qualified for the NCAA as a 200 butterfly specialist, but he was just named the 2020 Patriot League All Academic Male. He was the co-male athlete, scholar athlete of the year. Can you talk about Micah O in particular? But then in general, the, I think from my experience, swimmers tend to do really well academically and militarily here at the academy, and I would imagine it's tied into the discipline that's associated with your sport. Yeah, I'll be happy to talk about Micah. I think you nailed it right there. You know, they're, they're, they come in the door pretty well prepared. They're used to getting up early. They're used to uh, having a practice before school, at, you know, as a high schooler. Some of these kids, when they get to Navy, they're actually sleeping in for a morning practice. Uh, I've got guys on the team who are in the water at 4.30 during high school. Here, we're not until 5.40. Um, so all of that plays in pretty well, and they're pretty disciplined. And, you know, a lot of times we have to make our recruiting calls fairly early at night because they're going to bed early because they've got that 4 a.m. wake up. But um, Micah is, you know, if you look at the whole class of 21, just coming in the door, they're accomplished. You know, there, there's there's a high high baseline academically and athletically, but I think the thing I'm most proud of is each of them have gotten better. You know, if you look at athletically, they they all really improved quite a bit. Micah, what's what's remarkable about him is he he was homeschooled. You know, that's that's nothing new now in 2021, but still he he was able to adapt to the environment of the Naval Academy. And he's a 4-0 student, you know, and he's just, uh, he, he, he can just talk to him and have a great conversation with the kid. He's, he's just, you know, he, he, he's, he does well, but it's, he's, he, he's not limited. He's, he's not like, uh, uh, you know, what you might think of a 4-0 student, you know, not being able to hold a conversation or whatever. I don't know if that's, you know, the right yeah, way. He's, to not, he's not an egghead. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> you bailed me out there. Right. That's what we uh, uh, refer to John Schofield because he, when he was a 4-0 student at Villanova, he came across in that eggheaded type of style. That's, but that's accurate. Yeah. Very accurate. <laughs> that's that's how they breed him at uh, at the. I can't remember the name of the gym at Villanova, John. But uh, when I coached up there, uh, I remember the ROTC folks would be on the base, uh, the floor of the gym, and we'd be up in the stairs doing. Uh, Stairs and everything, and the lights. Yeah, the, the Dupont Pavilion, named Dupont after Pavilion. after John Ulaher Dupont, who eventually murdered a wrestler, and you know, really not really not important beyond that. But go ahead, Wax. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you were finishing talking about Mike O, but maybe extend that to the overall swimmers yep. because it's not it's it's fairly common that swimmers receive these athletes scholar athlete awards. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Mike is he, obviously he's done very well. 
um, we, we, he, he earned the elite 90 award at the NC2A championships, um, highest grade point average at the meet, uh, the Patriot league award. Um, and he's one of those guys that I still believe puts the work in. I've had some 4.0 students through the years who sometimes uh, things come a little more natural to them, but I think he falls closer to the other end of the spectrum. He's, he's still putting the work in and earning the grades. Um, I think he would agree with that if he was here, but uh, special kid, we're certainly going to miss him. But again, if, if you look at his whole class, uh, very similar, there's, there's a lot of great, student athletes in that group. And again, it just goes back to their, their buy-in, um, the goals they set for themselves when they got here. And fortunately they, they bought into the, the vision we presented to them and, and want to do well and want to help the program do well. And I think most importantly, just do well for each other. They really believe in each other as teammates. Thanks, Bill. And, you know, coach, I'll, I'll finish it off like this. You know, can you give us an idea of what the future looks like, um, how recruiting has been going. And, you know, as you graduate a really successful group of seniors, it's almost like hitting rewind every year, right? It's like, Hey, we have an awesome group graduating with an awesome group coming in. Um, can't wait to be there on I day because, you know, the future just keeps getting brighter and the athletes keep getting uh, better. So walk us through, walk us through that and, and how you really see, uh, Navy men's and women's for that matter, not to speak for coach Morrison, but how you see these sports continuing to go on an upward glide slope to remain relevant and keep beating the hell out of army every year. Yep. Great question, John. I think our goal, both goals for both programs is to be in the top 25 on a regular basis. You know, we, we, we've dabbled in and out of that. We've received votes, um, but we're, we're not a regular we're not inside the top 25 at the championship level at the end of the meet, uh, end of season meet championships. So that's really where I think I would feel really good if we can get there. And I think we've got an opportunity because some teams weren't able to compete this year. And, and we were, we were fortunate to do so. And we vaulted ahead a little bit of what we traditionally do. And, and as you mentioned with recruiting, We've got a stellar class coming in the door. Uh, we have a, a plebe class who just had a terrific uh, first season. Uh, I'm really eager to see what they can do in, uh, in COVID. And we've got a pretty pretty strong group returning. It's, it's a big class next year. Uh, in a lot of ways, they're very similar to this year's class of 21. You know, I think Coach Morris and I would both agree. We're, we, we believe Navy belongs in the top 25. Uh, on a regular basis. And that's what motivates us uh, day in, day out. And, and fortunately, we've got athletes that want to get us there too. Well, coach, I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you all the luck in the world uh, this weekend as as your kids and Bridget Ruiz's kids, uh, you know, battle it out on the lacrosse pitch. Uh, but thank you so much for, for joining us. We will continue uh, to highlight um, the, the dominance and what's special about uh, men's and women's swimming and diving at the Naval Academy on this podcast. Uh, so please shoot us, shoot us the athletes and ideas you have in the future, and we'll keep telling the story. Yeah, we'll do. You guys are doing a terrific job. So it's an honor to be here, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, you guys uh, promote our program terrifically. So appreciate what you're doing. Awesome, thanks, Coach. Right, Ladies thanks and gentlemen, that was Coach Bill Roberts of Navy Men's Swimming and Diving. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we are going to talk. Oh my heck! It's the Navy Men's uh, Pitching Coach Bobby Applegate. When we come back, Bobby will join us. This is Sing Second Sports. 
You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, we are back. Awesome conversation with Coach Roberts. Uh, really just, you know, a swimming special here on Sing Second Sports. Um, I'm all about alliteration. Uh, we are going to switch gears as, you know, the, the sports season is winding down. There are really only a few sports left, and, and one of those is baseball. After a very thrilling weekend up at Army um, or near Army at Palisades Credit Union Park, uh, dropping uh, the first game to Army 6-1, but then coming back, earning the 2-1 series win and the star. So happy to be joined by the pitching coach of the Navy baseball team, Bobby Applegate. Bobby, number one, thank you so much for joining us. And number two, walk us through what the emotions were like in the dugout, You know what, what it was like for your pitchers, knowing that so much was on the line, that their Patriot League tournament berth was, was resting uh, potentially on the outcome up there at Army. Walk us through what that was like for you guys. Yeah, right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's really great to be on the show. So thank you so much. Um, I can't tell you, this year has been uh, uh, an uncommon year. We, we've struggled, um, especially on the mound. It's not what we're used to. And, um, you know, our guys have been grinding every week. They're trying to figure out a way how to turn the turn it around. And um, we know what's up state. You know, we were... We knew what was at stake when we went up to Army, and uh, we had a good week of preparation. Um, we knew that we're on the verge of, uh, you know, not getting into the tournament. So we did everything we could, and and our guys were competing and grinding, and and uh, they did what they could to, to match up some zeros as much as they can, and knew that we have a great offense, and if we could just match up some zeros, our offense would give us a chance. And so, you know, what's really bitten us this year is just multiple run innings. We've been able to. Uh, get a couple quick outs, but we haven't been able to stop the bleeding. That's kind of been our Achilles heel this year. And, and, and this weekend we had a couple opportunities. Uh, we had bases, you know, we had guys in a scoring position, um, two outs, and we were able to get the job done. And uh, even, even in the last game, we were down two. We knew that if we could keep that game tight, our offense would give us a great chance. And our guys had great energy in the dugout. They knew that we, we were going to do what we could to, to fight and, and scrap and do what we could. And, and our guys came through and uh, we're just elated. You know, our guys were so pumped. You could see the emotion just watching some of the clips from the television. Um, you know, our guys were excited in the dugout. It was, it was awesome. It was the first time I really felt, you know, our guys were engaged in the winning part um, and really figured out how to do that again. You know, it's been a long time. Uh, this COVID thing has been a really difficult situation. And we really saw some great emotion from our guys this week, and I was really proud of them. So now a quick turnaround before I throw it to Wags. Um, you know, early April, uh, played three against Lehigh and, and lost the series 2-1. Early May, played three against Lehigh, lost the series 2-1. And now Lehigh stands in the way um, of us going to the Patriot League final um, as we have a doubleheader on Saturday the 15th and then you know, hopefully a, a game that is that is unnecessary on the 16th. If we can sweep, walk us through what you're looking forward to um, with this Lehigh series. What's tough about them 
And what's going to be the key for us to move to the finals? Well, I think this is uh, going to be a great series. Lehigh's got some good arms on the mound. But what happens when we go into the playoffs, we start playing nine-inning ball games instead of the seven-inning ball games. And I think that's where it's going to be a battle of the bullpens. Um, they have two good arms and Mason Black and, uh, and Savenson over there that has done a really good job against us. Uh, but we've also been banged up ourselves. Charlie Connolly got hurt in our first weekend against Lehigh, who was throwing the ball quite well. Uh, but as we have seen over the past, even when we have been in that one spot, when everything goes into a nine inning ball game, anything can happen in winning that eighth and ninth inning. And uh, it'll be, a, again, a battle of the bullpens. And we're just going to do a great job of matching up zeros, giving our offense a chance to, you know, win that ball game for us. But, you know, with Charlie coming back, his pitch count starting to, you know, really start to expand. We got Nate Mitchell back has been able to help us in our bullpen situation. Um, you know, Tommy Goodridge has started to extend uh, a little bit more of his pitch count as well and get us deeper into ball games. It allows our guys to pitch in the roles that they're meant to be in, just like uh, Dalton Baker and Trey Brathwaite. You know, we've had to ask those guys to do a lot more for us uh, than their typical roles in the past. And if we can keep them in the roles they're supposed to be in with our starters going a little bit longer, I know we're going to be in great shape getting into that last weekend. Wow. Well, uh, let's go back to the Army series and give a shout out to the two gentlemen you just mentioned, Dalton Baker and Trey Braithwaite. Uh, they were critical on Sunday after having pitched on Saturday. And as Costi said, you know, bring them back to back is not ideal. But I thought Baker and Braithwaite really gave you gutsy efforts. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. You know, Trey ended up throwing 54 pitches the day before. And, uh, you know, it's not typical for a guy to throw over 30 pitches to go the next day. But, you know, I talked to Trey. He's done a great job of taking care of his body. And when the game's on the line, he wants the ball. And he told me on Sunday, hey, I, I'm good. I got, I got one for you. And so, you know, we weren't afraid to give him the ball, and he took it. You know, and Dalton Baker, Baker who uh, came in a big situation on Saturday, um, you know, he was trying to keep the game tight for us. And, and uh, we ended up making a move there. And he only threw 25 pitches on Saturday, but this is the first time he's really gone back to back days and then go multiple innings for us the next day. That was tremendous. And I uh, couldn't say enough about those two guys and how much grit and, and heart and determination they had that day. Um, so one thing, you know, our, our off camera banter aside, all joking aside, Kasi said this month layoff hit, it really affected the pitchers more than the hitters. You got your pitchers on a regular, throwing program and like Costa said there's a reason the professional baseball they are so dialed in on a throwing program because it's very you know a scientific deal and you can't just spend a month not you know in your regular throwing rotation then just show back up at at Bishop Stadium and expect to be you know pitching like normal so can you just talk about how as a pitching coach I mean that must be maddening for you to not be able to work with your pitchers on your normal throwing program. I mean, how did you manage this month layoff and then bringing these guys back and trying to get their arms back up to speed? Uh, that just had to have been the challenge of your career. It really was. I mean, I've been coaching for 25 years now, and I've never had a three-week layoff of healthy players. Uh, I've had guys who've been banged up, and we've had to rehab them, and we put them in, in, in smaller roles and build them up. Uh, but in three weeks, 
you know, we were trying to throw into a net, whatever we could do, um, you know, to try to stay in shape. But we had a couple, we had four games under our belt. We were already starting to get rolling. And all of a sudden we had to pump the brakes. And so that, that stop and go is really difficult for pitchers. And the mind says, hey, I feel great. Uh, but the body is not quite the same after a three-week layoff. And all of a sudden the pitches that we felt like we were throwing well are now getting hit. And all of a sudden, there's some mental adjustments that have to be made. Then there's physical adjustments. And, hey, we've been chasing our tail the whole year trying to figure it out. And I'm just hoping that we're starting to get it figured out now. So, And that just wasn't the three weeks. That was our whole fall. We've had guys in and out uh, of different types of protocols or whatnot. And so the stop and go for a lot of these guys has been really difficult to, to, to maintain. And uh, it's been a challenge, to say the least. Uh, and, again, I, we're not the only ones to go through this, but – I think we're the only ones that shut down really for three straight weeks where our guys couldn't do anything. And, you know, that, that's been a challenge. Uh, so the mental challenge, the physical challenge, it's, uh, it's something I hope that we don't have to go through again because it wasn't fun at all. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about, you know, getting guys back into their traditional roles. Um, but one thing you had, Jared Leans has not been right all year and he was right. expected to be a weekend starter. And basically yeah. what ends up happening is you're now your, your, your two becomes your one, your three becomes your two. I mean, I guess that's uh, Tommy Goodridge and um, I mean, I've probably Reese early. Uh -huh. I mean, it will Reese early now because I've, you know, you mentioned Conley's not been right. You know, perfect, right. So can you talk about that challenge? And, you know, I guess we I mean, going into the series, where are we with starters? I mean, are, 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 is everyone available or is it looking like you're going to have to go Charlie, Reese, Goodridge, somewhere in that combination? No, we're, uh, we're going to go with uh, Charlie in game one. Goodridge uh, will go in game two. And, uh, and we're going to see how we work out the game three. Right now, it'll probably be between Jared Lyons and, and uh, Reese Hurley at this point. Um, but, you know, for, for the last four weeks, you know, our number one, who is Charlie Connolly, has been out. Um, so, yeah, everyone's had to pitch out a role. Tommy Goodridge has had to step up and pitch in that one slot. Um, Reese Early's had to step up. And then we've had to had we've gotten Jared Lyons to pitch in some of our uh, four-hole games for us. And so, yeah, we, we've it has been a significant challenge. We've had seven senior pitchers who've had significant innings over the years. And we've had over half that group injured in some capacity have missed uh, some significant time. So when you're having to ask young players who haven't had a ton of experience, and even our sophomores who had a limited season last year, uh, very limited experience in getting in that work into the ball game. So, um, you know, when you're counting on so much experience to ride you through the season and all of a sudden we don't have that experience, uh, it really makes for some difficult lessons throughout the season. Last for me, before I turn it over to John, I mean, you mentioned seven senior pitchers and it's been a, it is a senior dominated staff. Um, and I'm sure you, like mentioned, with three-week layoff, you may not have been able to develop some of the young pitchers the way you would have liked this season. Maybe mention a few names as after these seven seniors move on uh, into the fleet, uh, some of the young pitchers that we may be seeing coming up next season that we may not know much about. Well, Nate Mitchell has really stepped up for us. He was a guy we were really counting on. You'd only seen glimpses of him here the last couple of weeks. He was a guy that's uh, – dealt with some injury here the last eight, you know, the last seven weeks. So um, he's a name that you'll see. Reese Hurley is a guy that you'll start to see a little bit more in the front end of our rotation. I think he's a guy that's uh, really 
taking to the, the experiences that he's uh, collecting right now. Uh, we have a Thomas Russell who is uh, actually sitting out with the UCL uh, reconstruction right now. He'll be back next year. Uh, who threw the ball very well for us at the end of his uh, freshman year. And so those are three arms. And then our incoming class, we feel really strong about. Um, guys are going to, you know, get in there and, um, you know, get back to nor our routine. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, we started to talk about Major League Baseball. There's a reason why those guys play every day. There's, you can only throw so many bullpens. You're going to have to get out there and play. And our fall will be critical for our development. And we hope that we can get back to normal in our fall situation next year. So, Bobby, yeah, the the draft is coming up. Um, yeah, the I'm just hoping either Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter fall to the Orioles. That's all I want. Yeah, but um, yeah, that that I'm not saying that the that the Navy pitching staff is a la you know the 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 power program down at Vandy and the names that come out of there. But Trey Braithwaite, Noah Song, Jared Lines, Kyle Condry, Luke Gillingham. Um, you know, even before you came here, um, you know, the, and, and for some reason I'm blanking on his name. He went to the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Mitch Harris. Uh -huh. Mitch Harris. Good gracious. Um, you know, you have had some really special arms um, and, you know, and Noah, here we are in May, two years after his graduation, possibly uh, pursuing and getting the opportunity to follow through on his fourth round draft pick. Uh, by the Red Sox and pick and pitch for the uh, first place team in the American League East. W what's it been like to 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 be around some of these arms and watch them go on and have potential pro careers? What does that mean for you personally, and uh, in terms of in terms of professional satisfaction? Well, it's uh, it's a tremendous honor to work with these men in and out, and and really they come in as young men and they leave as men, but. You know, the, the, the satisfaction for me is we're, we're doing it right. You know, they're doing a great job with their throwing development. They're doing a great job in their lifting development and uh, their commitment to the game day in and day out. That's really a testament to what those guys are doing. You know, none of these guys have been drafted in high school. They're not draft picks and some of them were unrecruited. So for these guys to go through our program, develop not just as a potential, you know, all, all conference player in the Patriot League, but to be recognized in the country. Uh, as Noah Stong was, as a you know, Golden Spikes finalist, as one of the best arms in the country, I, you know, it makes me very proud. You know, it makes me very proud that we're on the right track, we're doing the right things, and our our guys are buying in. So, you know, with that being said, um, I can't be happy enough for these guys. You know, Trey Brathwaite's on that same track, uh, Charlie Connolly is on that same track, and uh, you know, I think those guys both have an opportunity to get to the next level. So. You know, we just got to continue that tradition and, uh, you know, continue to keep getting ballplayers here that want to keep pushing themselves and, and be the very best they can be. So, you know, here's hoping that we hear uh, both Brathwaite's and Conley's names uh, called um, during the Major League Baseball drafts after Kumar Rocker hopefully falls to uh, the Orioles at number five. Um, last question. So, you know, you have Carter Schofield out there, you know, the, the broad neck under 13 travel team, you know, really working hard to, uh, you know, to, to hone his baseball ability. You've got him or any prospective player out there. What do you say to them, um, you know, about the program at the U.S. Naval Academy? And you've coached at the U.S. Air Force Academy as well. What do you right. say about the, the dynamic and the culture at service academies 
particularly at Navy, to get them to come to Navy and play? What's so special about it here? Everything about it is special, you know, but, you know, for us to be quite honest, I'm going to talk to these guys and tell them to focus on their academics. You know, it's uh, one of the things that these guys have done. You talked about all these great players that have done a great job in the classroom. They put themselves in a position so that they can succeed on the field. And, uh, you know, we do a great job in the classroom. And I think that shows testament to their daily work habits. It's going to translate to the baseball field. So we're going to talk about the academics. And then we're going to talk about, you know, uh, grinding it out on the field. Be the first one there, the last one to leave. Be a sponge. You know, work as hard as you can possibly work. Uh, don't gauge yourself against other players, but gauge yourself about against your own talents and uh, continue to push yourself individually uh, daily. Perfect advice uh, from one of the best in the business. Uh, Bobby Applegate, pitching coach for the Naval Academy baseball team. Good luck this weekend. If I had the occasion and the ability to get up to Bethlehem, I'd be there with this hat and I'm still holding you to the white hat. I'm still holding you to that. Oh yeah, um, I'd be way. up there. I'd be up there to root for you, but uh, we'll be, we'll be pulling for you and let's hope that we're in the Patriot league finals. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck. Thank you, John. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate you guys. You guys doing a fantastic Great. job. Thank you. Great having you, Bobby. You were fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you, Bobby. All right, ladies and gentlemen, right. that was Bobby Applegate. Uh, let's hope that we are in the uh, that we're in the Patriot League finals, and then hopefully, you know, eventually in Omaha. Um, but you know, still work to be done here. Uh, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, Wags and I will take this baby out. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, we are back. Great interviews today. Great conversation. I, I, I loved it. I, I say it every week. I sound like a sick fan. Why would I not be for our own podcast? But I, I just think that it gets better and better and the conversations are more and more enlightening. Um, as we take this baby out, there are a couple of things to discuss. Uh, some, some football roster news. Um, but also, you know, to start on a, on a positive note, you know, the physical mission is so amazing. Um, you know, it, we, we have have sustained success out there on the fields of friendly strife, but it cannot be ignored how good a student uh, each and every athlete is. And, and we were recognized appropriate, appropriately so with all academic recognition this past week. Wags? Angelina Chan represented Patriot League women's golf on the pay all. Hold on. Let me start. Over. Let me start over, John. Sorry. Okay. Angelina. Dan represented women's golf on the all Patriot League academic team. Uh, Thomas Nicholas Clock represented men's golf on the Patriot League all academic team. There were multiple wrestlers that received Patriot League all academic honors. Uh, there was Logan Treister, Jacob Allen, Cody Tribus, Casey Cobb, and Tanner Skidgel. And then track. Uh, Thomas Johnstone was men's track and field of Patriot League all academic team. And uh, Johnstone is a uh, field athlete. Um, so it's just, I, I just am always amazed that the, you know, we see these releases from Navy Sports Information and they become so regular and routine that we kind of just 
gloss over him. Oh, another another Navy athlete, all academic honors. It's a big deal. And <laughs> well, Johnstone is a math and economics double major with a 4.0 GPA. Like if I weren't so impressed by that, I'd want to like stuff him into his locker and take his lunch money. Like, are you kidding me? Like, these are all people who graduate with Bachelor of Science degrees and they are majoring in very difficult things. They're not like John Schofield at Villanova majoring in sociology. These are like brilliant individuals. Right. Well, that's why we really just need to recognize this because this is part of the overall mission. They're here. They're athletes. They're representing Navy in competition, but they're also getting the job done in the classroom and it deserves our recognition. So just wanted to give a shout out to those athletes. And we'll talk about a swimming athlete when we, uh, we, we, we did talk with Bill Roberts about a swimming athlete's an amazing 4.0 student. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's, it is, it's unbelievable. And, you know, we, we don't do enough to talk about the difficulty. We talked about Molly Swiger, um, you know, as a cyber operations major and her capstone is a very relevant uh, dive into the um, cybersecurity maturity model certification. You know, th these are just brilliant human beings on top of being great athletes. Break. Um, also, some you know breaking news in terms of the football roster. Something I think that will very adversely affect uh, the offense going into the uh, going into the next season. But you know that Nehemiah's motto is "next man up." So, Ags, you got the scoop. What's going on? Well, it's breaking news and it's bad news, John. Uh, Jamal Carruthers, who was projected to be the starting fullback, has started twelve games over the previous two seasons and you know he's rushed for over a thousand yards in the last two seasons he is he's gone from the naval academy my sources are saying he was dismissed navy public affairs office cannot comment it's considered a privacy issue uh but the bottom line is uh jamal carruthers is in the transfer portal and when you're a rising senior at the naval academy and you're a five foot nine fullback in a triple option system. I don't think you're transferring because you want to go to a SEC school to improve your NFL prospects. So, you know, this, I don't think this is a voluntary transfer. In fact, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Former PAO, but I don't think anybody voluntarily transfers from the Naval Academy after they've signed their two for seven papers. I don't think that's even allowed. Uh, weigh in. It's very rare. Um, and, and you do understand the second you sign a two for sevens that you are now incurring the financial commitment um, on top of what that five-year service commitment is. That if you, in some way, due to failing the PRT, due to grades, due to conduct, due to an honor board, due to anything, if you in some way are not able to make it to commissioning and graduation day, then you incur the financial hit, you know, I don't want to prognosticate or hurt anybody's uh, reputation out there. Uh, that's not our job. We, we believe in the institution. We believe in the athletes. But this is likely one of those cases where something took place. The superintendent removed him um, after close you know, recommendations or consideration um, on what the commandant says as it goes up through the company officer, the battalion officer, the commandant, and finally with the soup. And then it goes to the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Manpower and Reserve Affairs for a final stamp. So my opinion is, or my prognostication is, something took place and this isn't someone entering the portal. This is someone who was asked to leave, now incurs the financial hit. And hopefully, 
you know, he can recover from this as people have, and it's happened in the past. You know, I, I, I'm thinking of a very notable star quarterback back in the middle 2000s, like 2005, 2006 range. So, you know, it, it, it happens. Here's just hoping that, that Jamal can pick himself up by his bootstraps and, and latch on somewhere else. What we know for sure without any further speculation is that he's in the transfer portal and he's not coming back to Navy. So the starting fullback, the anticipated starting fullback in 2021 is no longer on the roster. So now you're looking at who else is there? Isaac Ruos and uh, James Harris III. That, that's your second and third on the depth chart. There are no Jamal Brothers. Jamal Brothers is a home run threat. He's a breakaway threat every time he touches the ball. He, he's explosive. He's He's got a finisher. I mean, Isaac Ruos and James Harris, God love them. They're more, you know, between the tackles, you know, two, three yards in a cloud of dust. So you just lost significant dynamic running ability at the fullback position. In my opinion, Jamal Carruthers was the most proven weapon beyond maybe Michael Cooper, the wide receiver, uh, returning to the offense. And early on as a young quarterback got established as the starter, I think, Navy is going to rely on Jamal Carruthers to carry the load. So this is just a huge body blow to the offense, in my opinion, John. Uh, there couldn't be much worse news for the Navy offense, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, after the slapback struggles last year, to have then a lack of depth at the fullback, um, it reinforces what you said about Ty Lavatai um, last week or Masai Maynard or Xavier Arline. Whoever is under center with those big targets at wide receiver, if you can't get the slot backs on track, if you can't get uh, production from the fullback uh, position with Jamal Carruthers gone, you better be able to throw it. So um, we'll see. We'll give you the updates as, as we go forward. Obviously, a very disappointing uh, disappointing result for uh, the Naval Academy football team and Jamal Carruthers. Um, as we go out, I will remind everyone that on the Naval Academy Athletics website uh, is a bunch of stuff uh, talking about return to normalcy about sports camps. So if you have kids out there uh, who want a great sports camp, um, get on to, uh, to NavySports.com check out the camps that are taking place. The only camp, as far as I know, that's not taking place, much to my son's chagrin, is the golf camp. But a lot of other camps out there, please check it out. They run a fantastic program. Wags, anything last from you before we take this baby out ski? Nope. Looking forward to rooting for Navy baseball this weekend against Lehigh. I'll be out uh, talking to Coach Kasi and some players. I want to highlight the young infield. Coming into the season, infield was a major question mark. Three veteran starters graduated and Navy had to replace the second shortstop and third base. That's your, the key, key defensive elements there. And uh, lo and behold, they, they did it. So uh, you'll read an article in the paper later this week about how, you know, guy like Logan Keller. And we mentioned Eduardo Diaz who had the big double three run double against army and Nico Valdez at second base. Those three guys, has stepped in and done a tremendous job and kept the Navy uh, infield defense rolling along. Yeah, here, here, here to that. Um, boo, Mountain Hawks. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and sweep them on Saturday so we don't have to play Sunday. Um, you know, just one last thing. You know, please, please check out uh, Bill Wagner's stuff at the Capital Gazette uh, website. 
um, and follow him on Twitter. Just awesome information, not only about the Patriot League, about Navy, about lacrosse, but everything sports in and around Annapolis. Please check us out on our social media feeds at WeSingSecond on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, thank you very much to our sponsors um, at Academy Consulting and Mills Fine Wine and Spirits. Uh, lastly, we are coming up on commissioning week. We're going to have very awesome shows for everybody. We're going to talk to a Blue Angel. We're going to talk to Czech Ladchev. We're going to talk to Coach Nia Matololo. We're going to have probably daily pods during commissioning week, hopefully with the sound of Blue Angels behind us. So uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to go on hiatus for the summer after that. So we're, we promise to give you great content uh, up and in, up to and including commissioning week. But thank you so much for being such dedicated fans. Thank you to Bridget Ruiz. Thank you to Bill Roberts. And thank you to DA Bobby Applegate. For Bill Wagner, for Ward Carroll, for Chris Cervello, I am John Schofield. Thank you for listening to Sing Second Sports. We are oot. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of the podcast segments.